Our first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts. We'll be reading chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you have determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answer, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The word of God for the people of God. All right, this is Revelation 1, 4 through 8. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the world. All the glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, who, the, his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all nations of, of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. The Gospel reading today is going to be from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. It's going to take me just a second. The Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said this. He showed them with his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven to them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see See the mark of nails on his hand and put my finger into the mark on the nails on his side. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and reach your hand and put it at my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And now Jesus did many other signs 
in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of God for the people of God. I love the Gospel of John, who likes at the end to say, there was a whole lot more I didn't have room for. Y'all just believe me. Uh, <laughs> but there is such a huge difference, isn't there, in the difference between losing something and then losing someone. When my dad was really sick and he was at Methodist University Hospital, I lost my car every time I went. I don't know why. There was construction going on. The parking garage was huge. Every floor looked the same. And I was running on lack of sleep and heightened emotions. And at one point, Corey works not far from Methodist University. I told him just to come get me. Um, I cannot find the car. Come and get me. We'll leave it here. I'll get it another day. I give up. Right? Because losing something is tiring and frustrating, but it is not the same as losing someone. Corey and I, along with Ashley and the kids, took uh, everyone to the Redbirds game on Monday. Like, we thought, this is a great plan, right? The kids are off for Easter. It is sunny. It is 70, we, like 70 degrees. It's beautiful. We got those bluff tickets to where the kids didn't have to sit still the whole time. They could run around and play. And by the seventh inning, I thought, we have pulled off a beautiful, wonderful event. We have eaten slushies and nachos and pizza and peanuts, and we've done the whole thing. It's the seventh inning. It's going great, right? The Redbirds were losing, but besides that, everything was fine. Um, and so you have three adult eyes, three adult sets of eyes on the field at this point. We are watching the game, and then at that point, we realize there was three adult eyes watching the game. There were not three adult eyes watching children. So, during that time, two little legs left the grassy area and was gone. So, I look up at some point at the end of the seventh, and I look at Eden, and I say, where is your sister? And she goes, I don't know. I don't know where she is. And so, at that point, I look at Corey, and I know, oh, she's gone. Like, she is gone. And so we stand up and do the very cautious parental yell, that first parental yell, like, Win Winnie, Win Winnie, Winifred. You know, and you just, because you don't want other parents to know you've lost your kid. Um, so you just kind of stand there and cautiously yell your child's name. And then at that point, we, you know, we've scanned the whole grassy area. We look at the other children. And we were, oh, she's not here. She's not here. So panic kind of rises a little, and we walk off the grassy area and go back. And Corey said, you know, you check the girl's bathroom, I'll check the boy's bathroom. I run through and don't see any legs under there. No one's answering my call of Winnie, Winnie, Winnie. And so we come back out, and Corey's like, okay, well, I'm going to go towards the outfield and look at the picnic tables, and you need to go this way. And so I run this way, and I told Ashley to stay there with Eden in case she came back. And so I run towards, if you've been to the Redbirds game, where all the food is, right? So I'm going towards where just lines and lines of people getting cotton candy and beer is. And I realize in that moment that hope is probably gone, and I am not going to find her. Like, there are, it's a holiday, there's people everywhere. Like, uh, I'm going to have to call the police is what I'm thinking at this point. Um, and so sheer panic 
has set in. We're about seven minutes into losing her, and I am I'm panicked. Complete panic. So the calm initial yells are gone, and you're full parental panic screaming, right? Like, like you're just screaming your kid's name in front of hundreds of people unabashedly and without fear. And so I'm screaming her name, and I'm screaming her name, and I circle back to where I think if she's not this way, maybe she came back to the seat. And as I'm moving back, I see Winnie holding a woman's hand and walking towards the grassy area. And so I come up to this woman, and she goes, I found her in the bathroom by herself, so I helped her because I was helping my daughter, and I helped her in the bathroom, and then I realized that she was probably the Winnie that was being screamed for. <laughs> and so I hugged the stranger lady, as you do. Um, I hugged the stranger wom woman, and then I took my three-year-old, and I hugged her, and then I yelled at her, and then we both cried, because that is what you do when you lose your three-year-old at a baseball game. It couldn't have been more than nine or ten minutes that she was gone. But as a mother, you initially go to all these worst-case scenarios, and occasionally those overwhelming feelings that hope are lost just kind of consumes you. It is amazing the breadth of emotions you can go through in 10 minutes when you lose a three-year-old. Every one of them, anger, fear, hope, I mean, all of it, it's, it's up, it's down, it's gone. Because losing an object is one thing, but losing a person, that's a whole nother thing. That's another thing altogether. And that's where we come to with the lead character in our gospel story this morning, this is where we find out more about Thomas, also known as the twin. Somehow Thomas missed the initial upper room experience. The Gospels don't tell us where Thomas was or why, but he wasn't there. So he was still grieving the man and the God and the Messiah that he had lost on Golgotha. He finds his friends who should be grieving, and they are filled with joy. They are overcome. They are going on and on and on about this resurrection. But Thomas does not see the friend that he has lost. Thomas can't see it. He wasn't there. And he can't find him. His friend is still lost. And John's gospel tells us that he had to wait a whole nother week. Not ten minutes. A week. A week of fear and a week of not knowing and a week of uncertainty and a week of losing Jesus. We tend to remember Thomas as for his doubting. That's his name, right? Doubting Thomas. We tend to hear his name used as an example of how not to be. But can you imagine how he must have felt this week? It's not obstinate disbelief, it's the unknowing, it's the lack of confidence of losing something so dear and so close to you. But I know this feeling because I can remember a time in my life where I felt like I lost Jesus too. As most of you know that my faith experience started when I was about 15 in a strictly evangelical context and Growing up in the youth groups of the early 2000s meant that faith itself was strictly an equation. A plus B equals C. 
If you tithed and attended services, the Lord would bless you. If you prayed and read your Bible, you got more of Jesus. If you walked the Romans road and then walked the aisle, you would be saved. A plus B always equals C. But the older I got, the more the equations worked less and less. For some reason, sacrificial giving did not fill our bank accounts when we were newly married and working entry-level jobs. I mean, I answered probably a million altar calls, and I wasn't feeling any more transformed. And reading my Bible eventually at some point left me with more questions than it did answers. A plus B was not adding up to C. And don't get me started on prayer. I was promised if you woke up early and you spent the time, well, you would hear God. And I woke up early and I spent the time and oftentimes I didn't. I didn't, I didn't get what was being promised out of the equation. The equation at some point stopped working for me. So just like doubting Thomas, the doubt began to follow me. Like a name or a badge or a calling, it kept following me. So we left the church of my childhood and for a while left the church altogether. And then for a while we spent a year with a non-denominational church. And then we spent a year with the Anglicans. And then we spent a year with the Episcopals. And then we spent a year not doing much at all. Because I was looking for answers I was looking for answers to my equation. If God wasn't who I thought God was, then who is God? If these aren't the ways in which we find God, then how do we find God? Doubting Thomas may have had the right idea on this one, though. In his doubt and in his confusion and in his fear, he waited on Jesus, and then he demanded to see the body. He waited on Jesus, and then he demanded to see the body. He wanted to see the nail-pierced hands, and he wanted to see the hole in his side. Doubting Thomas needed the very body of Christ to heal his unbelief. He needed the body to hold his doubts. It is after seeing the body that he is then able to exclaim, My Lord and my God. Not only is he certain that his friend had returned, he was even then certain who he was. He was God. Personally, I can say that I too can't seem to find Jesus away from the body. Of course, I'm not able to touch the nail holes or to place my hand in his side, but I do have the body of Christ, the church, the community of believers in which I can bring my doubt and my fear. When I step away from the church, the community of faith, the very body of Christ, that's when my doubts grow. My fear becomes unmanageable, but inside the safety of the body, the fellowship shows me their scars. I have a community that shows me the wounds and their pain and their hurt. And the fellowship then doesn't try to fix and or answer my spiritual equations. But like Jesus, 
just visits us in our doubt. Like Jesus visited Thomas in his doubt. Thomas missed Jesus the first time, so Jesus came back. And we have to assume that it was just for Thomas. Because the others had already seen and believed the resurrection, so he came back for his friend. He came back for Thomas. He came back just to be with him. And the church is no different because sometimes I come into this place on Sundays full of faith and full of certainty and full of belief. And sometimes on Sundays we come in here confused and spiritually tired and full of doubt. But just like Jesus is returning to Thomas, the community consistently and persistently welcomes us. It welcomes me. With open arms to the table and with open arms to be a part, the community, the body of Christ and its brokenness welcomes you and me. Whether full of faith or full of doubt, the community holds us. The body that was sacrificed and the body that was resurrected is the same body that holds us now. When Thomas makes his admittance of faith, Jesus says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet came to believe. And again, in that moment, it sounds like Jesus is getting on to Thomas. That we, for not seeing Jesus in the flesh, are blessed because we believe better than Thomas did. But maybe Jesus is not saying that. Maybe he's saying that we're blessed because we don't see Jesus, but because we come to faith through seeing each other. That we come to faith through seeing each other. Maybe we are each a blessing and being blessed by those in our community who help us in our tired times and through our weary times and through our doubting times. Maybe Jesus knew that just like Thomas needed to see him that day, that we need to see each other, that we need to hold each other in our doubts and in our darkness, and that is the way that we are to be blessed. We have a bush in front of our house that I planted a few years ago. It's the only thing I've ever planted that ever came to fruition. So it is uh, uh, some knockout roses that you will see right here. Um, they are beautiful right now, and I wanted to clip them and bring them in this morning to put onto the altar. But the thing that I forgot about when I started clipping them early this morning is that they are just like regular roses, and they have thorns. I did not know that, and I was unaware. And the thorns really hurt, in case you've never clipped roses. The thorns really hurt. As we talk about doubt as we talk about holding fast to community, I can't say that there aren't times that we won't be hurt. I can't say that the feeling of not knowing where our faith comes from doesn't make us feel pain. I can't say that being in a community won't hurt us at some point. I can't say that this community won't hurt you at some point. But I can say that God brings beauty 
out of community and that God brings beauty out of our doubt and that when we come out on the other side of it, our faith is deeper and more nuanced and more complicated and more beautiful than it was before. When I lost Winnie at the ballpark, I knew I wasn't going to find her without help. I needed help, and help came. When Thomas lost his hope, he needed help to find it. When we are consumed by doubt, we need help to wade through it. We need each other. We need the body, and we need the church. In all of its brokenness, in all of its scars, in all of its thorns, we still need to hold each other. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Standing and receive your benediction. May the peace of Christ go with you out of this place and fill your day today. May the God of love and mercy embrace you and mold you and show God's love through you. And may God bring you once again rejoicing back to this place. Amen and amen. You are dismissed.